this time on The Brothers Mysterium. After I started working there, if you were walking in the halls at night, sometimes you would just get this aroma of, of smoke, as if there was somebody walking through the building with a cigar. So we always knew it was always something like a feeling in that house that something was up in that house but the consistent thing was the smell he gets a bias from us because he has instant credibility we believe it was a message from my father that you know he was in the room there was no reason for the smell to be there are these sometimes strange but sometimes familiar odors messages from the other side or is it just our senses playing tricks on us today we're exploring ghost smells My brother and I have always been intrigued by the unexplainable. Like many, we're fascinated with stories of the supernatural, French science, and modern-day mysteries. Though we've seen no first-hand proof of its existence, our minds remain open to the possibility. Unsatisfied with the so-called evidence on television and the internet, we are choosing to take matters into our own hands and conduct our own interviews and research. Now we're on a quest to speak with as many people as we can and hear the stories of these events from those who have lived them. No Hollywood effects or exaggerations and no hidden agenda. We invite you to listen and decide what and who you believe. We are the Brothers Mysterium. Welcome to another episode of The Brothers Mysterium. I am one half of The Brothers. My name is Tommy. Sitting across from me is my brother Eric. Heyo. And today's show, we're talking about stinky ghosts, phantom smells. That we are. I said it last time, we're always learning new things. We hope the listeners are learning with us. And this is one that I uh, will admit, I kind of flat out denied at first. I was asking people, hey, do you have any paranormal supernatural stories? Whoever denied it, supplied it. Uh, that's a good fart joke. <laughs> Is that hard, what you were going for? It's no? hard to get a ghost fart joke. Were you setting that one up? or? Uh, no, I didn't, I didn't see it coming. Thunder. All right. No, I set it up and you knocked it down. All right. But uh, so, you know, we're reaching out to everybody we know, friends, family, coworkers, whoever. And this one guy said to me, I have this story where it always smelled weird in the house that I grew up in. Interesting. And I remember thinking like, you had like a mold problem. That's not supernatural or paranormal. <laughs> and then as we're interviewing people on other subjects, we kept coming across people with interesting stories of smells. And I said to myself, what the smell is going on here? Nice. Went back to the original guy. We got his story. Uh, and we'll, we'll jump into that in a second. First, we should probably define what is a phantom smell. Okay, so phantom smells, when you're talking about the supernatural element, is a smell that is associated with a haunting or a ghost or an apparition in which the smell is directly linked to a supernatural cause. You, sometimes people report that uh, the smell comes along with other ghostly phenomenon, like, you know, there was a smell and then we saw a full body apparition, or there was a smell and we heard footsteps, or you know where I'm going with it. Sometimes it's reported on its own, where there is a smell that is related to uh, an event from the past, or a smell that is, is out of place. It shouldn't be there, but it, it, it sources a ghost. There's no physical explanation for why this smell is where it is. Right. It's kind of an offbeat topic. It's not the sexiest topic. It's not as good as a ghost <laughs> or an exorcism. Yeah. But I think that's kind of cool. Some of the stories are cooler than I thought, though. Right. And it like intrigues you. Like I've never heard a TV show where it was about smells because it's 
Like yeah. I said, it's stupid. You know, Smell-O-Vision hasn't right. come out yet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, nobody wants to watch that episode. It probably stinks. Uh, <laughs> oh, God <laughs> damn it. The Brothers. Mysterium. Okay. It was, uh, we, my family and I grew up in Long Island. So it was Freeport, Long Island in an old Victorian house. I mean, the house was probably about 100 years old at that point. You might recognize this voice. This is Dan. He does some of the voiceover work on the show. This time on The Brothers Mysterium. On this episode of The Brothers Mysterium. Next time on The Brothers Mysterium. Yeah, that guy. And we'd always have weird things happening. Um, we had uh, plates that would just fall off the rack. Like, they were impossible to fall so off. So more than just smells. More than just smells, okay. but the consistent thing was the smells. You would just be laying in bed and he would just smell smoke, like someone had just blown out a candle in the room you were in. So you'd, you'd be laying there, you'd smell smoke, and everyone would like walk out and be like, do you really smell the smoke right now? Like it was like, wasn't a little bit, it was like it would fill the house. And everybody smelt it. It wasn't just one person. Everyone smelt it. You could bring up smoke smell to anyone in my family right now and they'll immediately say, oh, we, remember you used to smell those ghost smells all the time? And now this is interesting. It's not a cigarette smoke. It's not a cigar. It's an actual flame, something almost burning smell. It's the exact smell of when you blow out a candle. So much so that I remember Christmas morning, we all smelt it Christmas morning and my mom said to my dad, "Did you when did you light the candles? And my dad said, what candles? She's like, I just went in the living room and it smells like you blew candles out. She's like, no, I never... Litany candles. So we went over to the candles, and there were like fresh new candles out for Christmas, with you know unlit candles. So we always knew it was always something like a feeling in that house that something was up in that house. But the consistent thing was the smells. And did you ever look into the history of the house, the previous owner, any type of connections you were ever able to uncover about the history of the home or a connection to this candle smell? No, there wasn't really any records except that the guy who lived there before was a candle maker and hung himself on a wick. (laughs) Uh, Okay. (laughs) So clearly uh, Dan was joking. Uh, (laughs) I love how he says, nah, nothing but this. Yeah, and it was uh, hanging himself with a wick I thought was a nice touch. Yeah. Um, But that is interesting because it's a very distinct smell. Uh, like I said to him, is it smoke? Is it fire? Something burning? No, it's right when you blow out a candle. We all know what that smells like. And he said it would literally fill up the house and everyone in his family smelt it. It's not like one person was doing it and then you could say maybe something was up with his nose, maybe this, maybe his room had a problem. But when it's Christmas and you're arguing about who's lighting candles, it shows that there is, there's something there and everyone is smelling it. Right. Uh, in, in this case, it is kind of a weird smell that is kind of unexplained but he said there were other elements of a haunting in the house but the smell was the consistent thing i would say it could be just as likely that there's something in the house though like maybe something with like the heating or something like that that causes the smell i don't really know well i was not but, in the house so I don't yeah know. i don't know the commonality factor is interesting because i remember one time i was driving with amy and she smelled something burning in my car and i claimed i didn't smell it and she said well either there's an electrical problem in your car or i'm having a stroke because sometimes when people are having a stroke, they can they smell burning like that. And what was the result? Uh, there was an electrical problem in my car. Oh. So and she wasn't having a stroke. But again, the commonality, exp- in, at least in this case, if you wanted to put forth the theory like that 
uh, goes out the window because there's no way everyone in the house was having any simultaneous stroke. So right, and that's the other thing too. Like obviously, some people have better senses. Some people go, Did, "Do you hear that? No, what? Like I'm very good at hearing a." Uh, if like a TV is on. Yeah, I can hear that too. Or if man. like a light isn't plugged in all the way, like just all the way, it'll yeah. emit a high pitch thing that drives me crazy. Yeah, yeah. And like, I know a lot of people can't hear it or I'll come in someone's house and be like, what's on right now? And they right. go, nothing. And I can run to the back room uh, and shut yeah. off the TV. Right. I, I did it at work all the time. Yeah. So some people do have heightened senses, but again, when it's more than one person, yeah, that one, sort of a mystery. What was going on? Nobody knows. N-O-S-E. Smell oh, joke. Man. Oh, man. Oh, God. Uh, but um the, the, the candle maker thing is hilarious. that's a good it's always good to get a joke in. it's a lighthearted, odd topic we'll have some fun with it uh but let's move on now to another story which is a little more pinpointed and a little bit harder to find kind of a rational explanation for all right the brothers mysterious growing up my maternal grandmother nana and i were very close We never lived no more than seven miles apart from the time I was born until I went away to college, and I saw her several times a week. She only wore one kind of perfume, Estee Lauder Young Dew. It was always in the bathroom, that hourglass-shaped bottle with the brown liquid inside that smelled like my Nana. Occasionally, I would sneak a little squirt or two to be like her. More than once I was caught because I smelled like a French whore, as my grandfather would say. Didn't understand that saying at the time. After Nana passed in June 1989 while I was away at college, I nearly dropped out of FSU and was going to move back to Michigan. The reason I didn't was because of a conversation I had with Nana's best friend. She told me how proud Nana was of me that I was working at a pharmacy to put myself through college. She and I had a very special connection. Shortly after she died, before I went back to school was the first time I smelled her perfume randomly in the house she had lived in with my grandfather for over 40 years. I was in the kitchen, standing at the sink, and had this overwhelming scent of her perfume. There was no reason for the smell to be there. Her perfume was no longer in the bathroom, or house for that matter, and no one else in the family wore that scent. That happened to me four or five other times that summer. Every time it did, I would talk to her like she was standing right next to me. It was hard to believe she wasn't physically there. It seems so real. I never had the experience while I was away at college, but it would happen when I would return back to that house. Years later, I purchased that home from my grandfather nearly 12 years after her death. The experiences became less frequent, but still would occur. The most memorable was when a roommate and I were in the kitchen. All of a sudden, the scent was there, and Michelle mentioned it before I said anything. She asked if I had changed my perfume or sprayed something in the room. I explained what I thought the scent was, and she immediately remembered the perfume. She used to come with me to my grandparents when we went to elementary school together. She had known my grandparents for almost 25 years at this point, since we were about seven years old. When I finally sold that home and moved numerous places across the country, Nana had visited me in North Carolina and California. 
The scent is not as strong as it used to be, but it still has a presence. The most recent incident happened in the kitchen of the home owned in Gilroy, California during a very stressful time in my life. It's like she knew I needed her and she was there to give me comfort and reassure me that everything would work out as it should. The smell usually seems to come to me in the kitchen, which makes sense since most of our time together would have been spent in her kitchen, teaching me to bake and cook, washing my hair over the kitchen sink, or just discussing the everyday dramas affecting a teenage girl. She was probably the most influential person in my young life, and I miss her every day. That last story actually came from a woman named Melissa who didn't want to be on the show, so she wrote the story down for us. Uh, we just want to give a big thanks to actress Elizabeth Galalis for helping us bring Melissa's story to life by reading her part. She pinpoints the exact type of perfume Estee Lauder Young do. So it's not like a similar smell. It's not like anytime I smell perfume, I think of my Nana. It's like I get hit with the exact brand that she would wear yeah certain smells you know exactly what they are i remember one time um someone brought i remember one time someone bought cologne for me because they thought it was the cologne that i wore and instantly i smelled it and i was like where'd you buy this this doesn't smell the same and they bought it from like some street vendor and they bought a knockoff and i knew right away because you can some of those smells like the cologne someone wears or the cologne you wear the perfume you can tell right away if it is or is not. Exactly. It's a pretty fine-tuned scent. Uh, and it's like certain smells, like you said, like, you know, anytime you smell like the ocean, you can have like a flashback to your childhood at the beach. Right. So I feel like she was around her Nana all the time, knew that perfume so well. So, I mean, what else could she be smelling that right. smells exactly like that exact brand? Yeah. Hard to, hard to say unless it's something. Now, the thing with her friend, I will say, because she explained her theory to the friend, and then she said the friend agreed with her. I think it's interesting, though, that her friend smelt the perfume before anything was said. Yeah, that's true. Basically, it's like they both smell it. Her friend's like, oh, did you change that perfume? What's that smell? So she smells it, identifies it. Then she says, oh, I think that it might be my grandma's. And she's like, oh, damn, that, that is it. You're right. Okay. So it's... I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. She smelt it on her own, which is very interesting. Right. And then she agreed to what it was. But even if it wasn't, again, like sh she should know that exact scent. Even if not, she, they both are smelling perfume. Right. And a weird thing with that is it's not like, like smoke. It's like we were saying it could be an electrical thing, could be a. Right. Bad, yeah. There's nothing pipe. in your house that short circuits and smells like Estee Lauderdale. Right. Like young yeah. do this exact perfume. It's not like, oh, it smelled nice. It smelled kind of like perfume. It's like, no, this was perfume. Right. Right. The Brothers I think I mentioned earlier uh, aromas, and that's something that some people pick up on. Others don't. I think it depends on the circumstances. You may also recall this voice. This is Bert from our talk on mediums. And how I mean this is, um, my father uh, would grill fish. Uh, was a fan of lobster and all that type of stuff. Seafood fan. And 
you know, much to my mother's chagrin, you know, obviously, as we know, that would cause some type of, you know, seafood aroma, if you will. Oh, yeah. It gets yeah. a little stinky. It, right. So she would, of course, you know, uh, kind of complain about it and became kind of an ongoing kind of uh, cat and mouse between the two of them. But this was like a known thing between them. So I guess about four or five years after he passed, uh, my brother is downstairs. Me and my mother are upstairs. And we're coming down the staircase and we smell this seafood aroma from downstairs. And now my brother actually is sort of a fan of seafood. And so he will make something and you can smell, you know, whatever it be, tuna or whatever. And it was, we felt it was unorthodox that he would make, my brother would make tuna because we were, I guess, getting ready to leave to go somewhere. And so we're like, this is weird. And we'd already previously eaten or, you know, about an hour before. So we come downstairs and my mom, of course, is about to balk at my brother and say, oh no, you're making tuna. Now I gotta, you know, have that scent coming around for the next couple of days. He's just downstairs sitting on the couch watching TV. And so this smell of a fish was flagrant, absolutely flagrant. And we believe it was a message from my father that, you know, he was in the room or it was a message specifically to my mother that she'd be able to pick it up. It was just another sign, if you will. And, um, you know, I think also he picked that time because he knew the three of us would be congregated uh, at one point. It wasn't like my mom's in the room and me and my brother aren't home or only one or or even worse yet, just I'm there and I smell and don't mention anything because I don't know the backstory. So that's something else from a paranormal standpoint that people really do have to pick up on. As he said, his father loved to grill up fish for them yeah for dinner and stuff like that so that odor fills the house and uh so much so that like you know his mom came downstairs he's trying to see if his brother was poor brother grilling fish in the basement or sneaking fish or something <laughs> um but again a very unique smell and one that there's really no explanation for it being in the house yeah the only thing i could possibly think of in this case would be and I don't know how close his neighbors are or anything like that, but every now and then you do catch a whiff of your neighbor grilling That's if it true. happens to be that time of year. Um, so it could be. I mean, smells smells do travel. Yeah, for sure. That, that's, that's all I got on that end. But I mean, I think your neighbor would have to have one hell of a fish fry for the smell to really like, you know, really permeate your entire house. That's true. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't cook fish enough. And like, I've, I've been in their house. I've been in the basement. I've been in the kitchen and the smell came up. Their neighbors are pretty far away, actually. Okay. And the interesting thing with that theory is that it was coming through the basement and kind of then wafting upstairs. Yeah. Whereas it would be more likely it was coming in from like just all the windows or coming from outside. Right. Like the source of the smell. And you mentioned they were about to leave. The house. Yeah. So I'm sure if they would have walked outside and said, oh. Right. They would have walked outside and said, oh, you know, Fred next door or whatever is cooking fish. So. And the other thing, too, that I was trying to think of, devil's advocate, was like maybe an, a dead animal or something was in the house. But it, it's not a bad fishy smell. It smelled good. It smelled like somebody was cooking fish. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's not like, oh, right. it stinks like, a, what is it? You're eating 
like, tuna fish or something yeah, weird. Yeah, like a squirrel climbed in your chimney and died. Right. That, like it, it was like, you know, they, it was like a mouth watering good. Right. Like, oh, somebody's grilling up some nice fish smell. So hard to explain, out of place. You know, what could it be? I don't know. Well, me neither. So let's keep moving on. And now we're going to jump into uh, a really intriguing story. Uh, and you'll find out why as you listen. The story you're about to hear is one that Tommy and I have actually known for quite a while. And it comes to us from a pretty trustworthy source. Hi, my name is Matt. This is our dad, or as we've come to call him, Father Mysterium. The ghost smell story he's about to tell you takes us back a couple of years, right into the town where Tommy and I grew up. In the summer of 1993, I started working at a small Catholic school in northern New Jersey. And um, the school had been built about uh, 30 years earlier by a pastor, by the pastor at the church who had been there from 1939 to 1965. This pastor's name was Father Charles Scharf, sometimes referred to as Father Charlie. He had a, seemed to have this incredible legacy. He had been born in Chicago in 1893 and joined the Carmelites when he was about 20 years old. He was a Carmelite priest and he worked at a school in uh, Chicago. I think it was called St. Cyril's. And then he went to Buffalo and Niagara Falls. And in each of those places, he built sort of as a, as a legacy and a testimony to Catholic education, these giant Catholic high schools. The buildings are still there, but some of them, uh, you know, have closed or been repurposed. And it, what he was sort of known for was that he built schools, he built high schools, and was not big on the parish itself, didn't care what the church was like. He felt that the future was um, educating young men uh, to be good Catholic gentlemen. And one of the things he really, uh, he, he stressed mathematics, trigonometry, science. Everything in this world is made up of math. But he also stressed athletics. He was the athletic manager. But they said he was just obsessed with details. Each of these places, he, he walked around constantly with a notebook and took notes on everything, every little thing that happened. If somebody was being punished or somebody was being rewarded. As somebody exceeded, or, you know, if you had a good practice or you did a good test, and all the while leaving this faint aroma of cigar smoke throughout the building. But when uh, Father Charlie got to Norwood, um, it was just a mission. It was a little white church that had been a social club and was converted into a church, and he started to buy property. And uh, the key to the story is that he would walk around the neighborhood uh, in the evening or very early in the morning smoking a cigar. Always smoke cigars. And uh, he would spot pieces of property and sort of envision this uh, concept of what could be a future school. So he slowly bought up lots from a couple of people on one side of the street, the same side as the church. Then he bought a, uh, a farmhouse and a garage and two other lots that adjoined the church. And across the street, he started to buy what had been a farm. He bought farm property and an old house, and they all became the property of the church. It wasn't until the early 1950s that he actually moved into this farmhouse and converted into the parish house, the rectory, and paved the lots next door and made a parking lot for the church. Uh, by the 50s, people were no longer just walking to church. They were driving, and he sort of saw that vision. 
and started to work with architects on building uh, a school. So his idea was they would start with an elementary school and he built the elementary school and behind it there were big fields. He, he thought he would build the greatest Catholic high school in New Jersey and have athletic fields and have it all sort of co-joined. He built in the school was a cafeteria and a small gymnasium and he thought eventually he'd build a bigger gymnasium and then showers and locker rooms all attaching to this big high school. Well, uh, by the 1960s, the school was finished. It was started in 61, and I believe it was finished by about 65. And in 1965, Father Charlie left the parish. He retired. And he left them all the plans. He thought he would be, this would be his greatest personal legacy, building this school. Five years later, he had passed away up in Buffalo, New York. And the pastors that succeeded him, there were financial difficulties. Um, the church was beginning to change after Vatican II, and Catholic education sort of, they lost interest. And, it, and the archdiocese had stepped in and did something without consulting Father Charlie, not that they had to. They built a large Catholic high school. There was one in Englewood, New Jersey, known as St. Cecilia's. They built a large high school in Paramus, New Jersey, which is sort of the middle of the county, thinking that would be the focus of Catholic education for the uh, county, for Bergen County, New Jersey. And that was the end of Father Charlie's dream. There was no further construction on that site, but there was a feeling that he never left the building, that he was always there. And when, after I started working there, if you were walking in the halls at night, sometimes you would just get this aroma of, of smoke as if there was somebody walking through the building with a cigar. Several times I asked the principal, had somebody come in Somebody must, maybe somebody was in the kitchen downstairs. You know, you turn on lights or I take the flashlight or I'd go down the stairs and you call for people. Never heard anybody. The school facility was used for a lot of community events. And uh, like the women's club would come in to do a, a, a soup supper. And they would say, oh, was somebody smoking in the kitchen? We smell cigar smoke. Uh, and sometimes like uh, another, other groups would come in and say, Gee, who is it who walks around here smoking the cigar? When you came in the front doors, right across from the front doors was sort of a, uh, a mosaic of the Blessed Mother. And the name of the parish and the school was Immaculate Conception. And this was there. It was donated by one of those old families. And it was as if somebody stood there in front of it at night smoking a cigar. The curtain that was in front of it would sort of have a cigar smell to it. And as I asked these families, I said, you know, it's funny. Every once in a while I smell a cigar. They said, that's Father Charlie Scharf. He never left the building. He died. You know, when that dream died and it just broke his heart and he always comes back. You know, it's one of those things. And I've read, as you read his biography, you saw this intense dedication he had to building these Catholic high schools. And it worked out in Chicago and up in upstate New York and Buffalo. But the one here in New Jersey just never came to fruition. So it was sort of a, a sad ending for him. And as if he still walks the, the halls saying like, what did they do to my dream? Or when are they going to finish this? Was the smell only at night? It was never like in the middle of a school day, suddenly you'd smell a cigar? No. Um, it would. Sometimes I would come in early in the morning, um, you know, to check on the boiler or something, make sure everything was running okay, ready for the kids. And you would get this whiff. And late at night, if you're in the office, you know, and I'd be working on something and you'd step out into the hall, that's that area in front of that mosaic. And you would just get this like faint whiff of cigar smoke. 
Uh, and, you know, you go searching for it and then you come back and you wouldn't smell it again. You'd say, this is just interesting, you know. Did it seem like the scent was moving almost? Like as you would, like as if he was actually walking the halls? Yes. Yes. Wow. And I, I, don't, I don't recall anybody saying they saw him. It was like, this was just part of his aura. And it was never accompanied with like footsteps or anything, or it was always just sort of a smell by itself? No, I would say, yeah, no, not that you'd hear anything and you wouldn't, uh, you wouldn't see anything visual, but you would just get this, this, this aroma. Were you ever scared if you're alone at night and you smell it? Did you feel like you were being watched by someone or is it more just sort of like a, you know, non-threatening, just like, oh, there, there's Father Charlie, I guess. No, I, I, I was. There were times in the morning I never felt that, even coming in and smelling it, um, I, I guess it was just a, a, a different time of day, but I remember sometimes being there very late at night and you would just get this sense as if like somebody was, was watching you. And um, at one point somebody told me how, what the different rooms used to be. And I don't remember right now, but say I was in the computer lab. Well, obviously that wasn't the computer lab in the 1960s. It may have been something else, but it might, may have been like a science and math. And here, this was something that fascinated Father Charlie and he actually taught it. Uh, and I believe, I, sh I say Father Charlie, but I think everybody always referred to him as Father Charles. It was Father Charles Schaff, and people would say Father Charles. Um, and then do you have any type of explanation as to what this could be, uh, if not uh, a paranormal smell lingering from him? Is it a clogged vent or something or any type of way to kind of explain this away, quote unquote, logically? I never did. I, I had theories and I thought... Um, you know, maybe, maybe there is something in the filters here. Um, maybe something's just, uh, it's, it's a smell that I'm thinking is cigar smoke, but it's not. But the two things were that I, we never, I never was able to track it down to a single location and it wasn't consistent. It wasn't like it only happened in the winter when the heat was on. And the other thing is that building, um, there was a man named Mr. Brown who was one of the great, uh, you know, cleaning and maintenance guys of all time. And they really would scrub that building from, floor to ceiling and for example during the summer they would come in they'd strip all the floors and wax them and polish them mop down all the all the walls everything got cleaned and then you'd come back to school in september and you know within a couple of days you maybe would smell it again right and you just knew that like somehow it had come back and i just can't believe that an, an odor would have um gotten that embedded in the building that it was you know still there you're talking like 50 years now yeah. Like had gone by since he had died almost, right? Yeah, now it is. From 1965, now it is. Yeah, right. yeah. I mean, I, I've been out of there 10 years, so it was 40 years, right, but still, right. that's a long time. Yeah. yeah. Before this happened, I suppose, did you believe in ghosts or spirits or anything? And after, had it kind of changed your mind at all? Or was it in line with what you had already sort of believed? Um, in some ways, it makes me believe. And I, I, I didn't. I didn't really believe in them. Um. I can't say I had ever really experienced anything before where I would say, oh, you know, there's uh, an actual physical uh, sort of presence. I mean, you know, I think a lot about people, but uh, never really, never really sensed it in that strong a way. Uh, so first off the bat, he kind of has... He gets a bias from us because he has instant credibility. Yeah, I mean, I, I'll say I've I've known the man my whole life, and he's always been a very um, rational, down to earth person. Has never said anything to us about ghosts ever. And what's very interesting is it wasn't just our father; it was anybody who worked there, smelt it, and even people who didn't know, as 
a lot of people did in the story. Right. We weren't even familiar with the history with Father Charles. Yeah. With any of the background. And even like angry parents would sort of be like, who's smoking in this school? Yeah. And I spent a lot of time in that school too at night sometimes, you know, um, hanging out there with him if he was working late and I was there just kind of meandering around the school. Uh, I never smelt it, but I will say that is one creepy building at night. It is. I've been there many times at night. I was there with him. I used to actually sneak off and I would smoke cigars and stuff. No, just kidding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it is a weird, it's weird to be in a school which is full of life and people and then at night the lights are shut off. Right. I went to school there actually. That is very true. Which is, you know, so an extra, very different from extra creepy element. I, I felt like at night I was almost like a ghost of the school because I would, you know, be there during the day with my friends and then at night I kind of had this ability to go anywhere I wanted. Uh, I even remember going into the, to my classrooms and like moving things on people oh. and then being like, what the hell happened here last night? It's a ghost, good. man. You should have talked about the ghost for show and smell. Yeah, but uh, never, never smelled the cigar smoke. And I think part of the reason is, and I think I remember asking my father this, is he didn't tell me about this until I had left the school because he didn't want this getting around. He, he, didn't, he didn't want me going around telling kids about a ghost in the school and things like that. Right. Uh, and I think that's to his credibility because he didn't want people thinking haunted or whatever yeah 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 that's and it. as far as a haunting goes because this is sometimes accompanied by a ghost which there was no apparition here but he says that the smell would almost travel through the school but also was at the we'll call them hot spots where the priest smoking them would hang out the most in front of the mosaic down by the phone mm -hmm. uh, where math was taught and i think the larger scheme here is that this was his big failure in life right yeah you know, he had tried to make this a the biggest catholic high school in the area right they built once you know somewhere else so it kind of crushed his dream and it brings in which we've discussed uh in episode one ghost encounters we talked about the stone tape theory which is sort of like the loop effect where a spirit of a person is Basically, it's almost like it was recorded and it's just on a constant loop on playback now. Yeah, and it's now laid over this location through time, kind of. Right, precisely. So it's, you know, could be him every night, every morning, strolling around the grounds, puffing on his cigar. Right. Because uh, there really is no other explanation why, with so much frequency and such a distinct smell, it would just keep occurring. Right. The Brothers uh, we always try to look things up from different aspects. So I did look into sort of the scientific explanation for what it could possibly be. And there is something called phantosmia. And it's the perception of a smell in the complete absence of any physical odor. The perceived odor can range from pleasant to disgusting. Although the causes of phantosmia are uncertain, it often occurs with neurological and psychological disorders, such as schizophrenia, mood disorders, Parkinson's disease, epilepsy, neuroblastoma, and frequent migraines. The problem is so many different people smelled it, and there's no way all of them were schizophrenic, had mood disorders. Right, neuroblastoma. It's, oh, it's right, like we stuff. talked about with uh, earlier in this episode, where you know, if it's not like one person was having a stroke. Right. I feel like of the senses, like a lot of ghost stories deal with auditory or visual, right. which I feel like it's easier to be tricked. 
than smell. Like we said, like your mind connects smells, connects memories. Right. And it's more likely I could be like, did you just see that? And you can kind of be like, well, maybe I did, you know, peripheral vision. I thought I saw something or was that a shadow? Well, it's easier to be tricked with your, by your own eyes. People say, don't believe what you see with your eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, your perception can be off with what you visually see. And even like sounds, you can hear something and you go, what the hell was that? Did I, and then somebody will say, did you just hear that? And you could be like, right. I might've, but I feel like smell is just somewhat different, especially when in this case, people are going up to each other going, do you smell perfume? Or like, who's smoking cigars in here? Did you just smell that? That's not one you hear too often. No. So just the fact that it is a smell to me makes it uh, interesting. You know, yeah. it's harder to trick your sense of smell. I guess is kind of what I'm trying to get at. I yeah, I would agree with that. Absolutely, I would agree with that. If this is a true phenomenon, I'm wondering if I've ever experienced it and just not noticed it. I also happen to have a, a terrible sense of smell, though. But I'm I'm just I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I can't think of any incidences either. But it could be the fact that, which I've said several times, we were unaware that this even existed. Right. And some other interesting things I found in my research of phantom smells, it turns out that the most commonly reported odor um, that comes with spirits or these ghosts is actually fresh flowers. And there's three distinct different aromas with flowers that are the most reported. They are rose, lilac, and jasmine. And uh, it's really interesting because like, when most people say this, uh, they get this odor and smell, it's... Like somebody recently has passed away and they'll just be thinking about them and then suddenly they'll get hit with a scent. And it could be lilac, rose, jasmine. It doesn't necessarily mean in life that person loved roses or whatever. Right. But it's like the most common one where people will say, you know, oh, I was thinking of Billy the other day and all of a sudden I I smelled fresh lilacs and somebody else will say, oh my God, that happens whenever I think of them, which... Is uh, an interest. It's interesting to me that that's the most common one, as where all of our stories were a specific smell linked to a person. You know, it was the cigar that he always smoked. It was the perfume that she wore. So it's interesting that fresh flowers is so popular. It's interesting that fresh flowers were so widely reported. Or you're saying it's even more interesting that it's those particular flowers. Uh, I'm going to say both. I mean, it's interesting. I don't know if those. I don't know much about flowers. Although I right. did, I did work in a garden center in high school. I know a lot about mulch, but um, yeah, I don't know if those three are just like the nicest smelling, or maybe they're most commonly used at funerals. I don't know what the that's, connection is. That's exactly it. That's exactly what I want to research. Is because as soon as you started to say fresh flowers and people who had passed away, my mind immediately went to the smell of a funeral, the smell of a funeral home, the smell of a church for a funeral. I mean, fresh flowers are heavily involved in the entire, um, you know grieving process so i'm wondering if those numbers match the most commonly reported smell associated with a ghost as well as the most commonly used flower at a funeral like if roses is the top reported flower for ghosts smells it and it's also the top reported for used at funerals i'm gonna say there's some kind of correlation there Because they do say, and I should not say they do say, I should actually do the research and find the information, but memory and smell are the most heavily tied, or memory is most heavily tied to smell as a sense. That is true. And I'm going to find the actual facts on that, but uh, that that could be it. I mean, there's times where I remember something and I, I, I smell something, not physically, but you, you know, you remember the smell and I don't know. 
Sometimes it's just hard to tell. Yeah, well, and it works both ways, too, where sometimes you'll go to the beach and smell, and all of a sudden you'll have a flashback to when you were a kid at the beach or something. Right, right. Yeah, you go back to a spot where you were, and you smell something, and all of a sudden the memory becomes almost palpable. Like oh, yeah. It, it's almost like you're there. So, And it could be the kind of thing where, I don't know, maybe that person, um, you know, recently deceased, and the, the person who's still alive is, maybe they smell the flower, and it goes through their nervous system, and... It hits them before they even consciously realize it. So that thought is sparked before the smell. I don't know. That could be. And people say that it's a lot of times it's the spirit is sort of emitting this odor as a way to say like, hey, I'm here, I'm with you, which is why they'll choose to, if they smoked a pipe, it'll be the smell of a pipe. If they were right. always, you know, always drinking coffee, it would be hazelnut coffee because they know you associate it with them. So maybe right. uh, if it's not just that, memory link up where every time you smell a rose you think of that person maybe that person at this point now says like hey there were fresh roses at my funeral and that's become their associated smell and that's what they're uh emitting into the air who knows their mo their mo and on the flip side there also are which is worth mentioning negative scents that are associated with bad spirits evil spirits uh whether they're you know unfriendly or unhappy human spirits or something more demonic uh, and those right. most commonly are the odors of mildew, rotten eggs, rotted food, and sulfur. And uh, a lot of times, people that are saying that there's you know a demon in their house or their house is haunted or along those lines will have these accounts of all of a sudden you know they think there's a dead animal in the wall or you know they smell sulfur, they smell something burning for some strange reason. So we right. talked a lot about kind of these nice, pleasant smells that remind you of loved ones and stuff, but. Uh, definitely got to uh, take into account the full spectrum that there are terrible smells that are associated with uh, evil, bad, terrible things. Yeah. Now, the mildew one that jumped out to me, and I guess it all depends on whether or not someone reports seeing an apparition accompanied by a smell, or they say the smell was the entire manifestation of the apparition. Uh, If it's the second one, I would say that it's possible that they're in a place that they think is scary, which is probably old and creepy and smells of mildew. And they just, their imagination takes that smell and just goes, oh my God, it must be the smell of a ghost. And then, you know, that's it. That could be. And, uh, I don't know, but that, yeah, I'm kind of, I, I don't know. I'm kind of like reaching there. Maybe, maybe hey, not. You never know. Yeah. Cause I've, all the places I've been in, where I've been like, man, I hope I see a ghost here. They've all been relatively old places that do have this kind of uh, damp, mildewy smell to them. You know, old basements, uh, abandoned sites, places like that. That's definitely true. And there's always the chance that if it's uh, mildew and fungus growing in a house, it could be uh, affecting your brain and making you hallucinate and think you're seeing a ghost. <laughs> oh, that could, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's true too. It kind of a long shot, but it has been, you know, it happens. People can die of inhalation if they're breathing in this you know toxic air from mildew yeah, this, and mold and things like that yeah this bacteria this, this fungus or whatever it is yeah for definitely. sure uh and then cool. one last thing i'm just going to say is it turns out that the most common flower at funerals are lilies which is the most commonly reported of the ghost smells right no they are rose lilac and jasmine interesting huh I'm sure a lot of people do use roses. I'm sure it depends on the family, the funeral home and stuff like that. But interesting to note. Although I do have to say, and this may just be my own um, olfactory deficits. 
if I smelled a flower, I don't think I could tell you which one it was. Like if I, especially without seeing it, if it was like, just like, you know, wafting through the air. Right. I would be like, oh, that must be Jasmine or that must be lilies. I couldn't, I could not do that. Neither could I. And on that note, if you smell anything funny, please see a doctor. Yeah. Or let us know. And then see a doctor. Smelly ghosts are no joke. This was sort of a lighthearted fun episode too. It's good to switch it up. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sometimes in our conclusions, we try to say whether or not we like believe what we heard or what we think of it. Kind of going on what you said too. Um, it, it is the hardest of the senses to be tricked by, but I would say at the same time, it's also possible to be tricked by that sense. Your olfactory sense can also deceive you. It may be harder, but I think it can. And again, I think it, it's not so much your physical sense that is behind it, but it's your inner beliefs because you, your senses take the input and then psychologically you do with them what you will. So I, I would say in, in this case still, it, you, you can be fooled. I agree that you can be fooled, but I will say from the stories we heard, I kind of feel like there's something to this and it could be a real paranormal phenomena now i hope i smell something weird soon that's what everybody hopes <laughs> actually i'm you're probably the only one who's ever said, probably, yeah. said that yeah so on that note we hope that you smell something weird soon too thanks for listening smell you later next time on the brothers mysterium i was trying to think of like a cool subject matter and i was thinking of you know like cursed objects haunted objects and it just kept coming back to the idea of dolls and you'd have to stay in there with the lights out facing this group of super, super creepy-looking dolls. And they'd play in the room together. The parents would hear two different voices. And when they went in to check on it, they'd only see little Gene. And whenever he got in trouble, he'd say, I didn't do it, Robert did it. He'd blame the doll. In the next episode, we talk with author David L. Sloan, expert on Robert the Doll. That's a wrap on this episode. We'd like to thank Dan, Bert, Melissa, and Matt for sharing their stories. And a new thing we're doing is we're going to release exclusive, full, unedited versions of interviews so you can hear Matt, a.k.a. Father Mysterium's, full interview over at our YouTube channel if you're interested. Additional voices for this episode were provided by Dan and Gwen Hudson. We want to thank our friend Elizabeth for reading Melissa's story. You can check out some of Elizabeth's acting work at her website, elizabethgalalis.com that's g-a-l-a-l-i-s dot com the songs in this episode were You Can't Lose Me Charlie by Lead Belly and Moonlight Bay by the Premier Quartet our theme song is performed by the Nevergrin definitely check them out and if you like us you like this episode and you like the show please go to facebook.com slash the Brothers Mysterium and give us a like and tell a friend to tell a friend to listen to the show like the show because we'd appreciate it and if you have any comments, critiques, concerns, questions, or an experience you want to share, you can hit us up on Twitter at Mysterium Bros, or shoot us an email via our Gmail account, thebrothersmysterium at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for listening. <laughs>